how do you mitigate your risk? Montel's forecasting services cover risks from hours ahead to years ahead. We welcome you to hedge your market exposure with our diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at salesatmontelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Monto Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. It's been another, shall we say, eventful week in Europe's carbon market, with prices hitting record highs almost on a daily basis. This year, prices have doubled from around €30 Euros at the start of the year and have hit all-time highs over 40 times over the course of the year. To help us explain the extreme volatility, the key fundamentals and the way forward, are two of the carbon market's most eminent experts. So joining me, Richard Sverson, is Ingvil Serhus, analyst at Refinitiv. A warm welcome to you, Ingvil. Thank you, Richard. And hello to you, Bernadette Papp, analyst at Vertis. Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for the invitation. I hope you are both well, and it's very good to have you back. You know, we certainly have a lot to discuss. So so let me, let me start with you, Ingvil. Um, we're seeing prices at the moment 60 and above. What's going on? What's driven prices out of the range of sort of 50, 55 we saw earlier in the summer? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Richard. And I think, I mean, the main answer is gas. I mean, we've seen a gas market that is like sizzling hot and it's uh, just going up, up, up. And carbon is really kind of following much of the moves that we see in the European uh, gas market at the moment. And of course, kind of when you're getting close to kind of all time high, and that's kind of also fueling when you break records or break levels uh, that you're testing as well. So I think kind of the the main main element to point to is actually actually the gas. And currently we see we have record high carbon prices. I mean, we are at uh, levels never seen before. Uh, but if you look kind of on the impact that carbon has on the power stack, it's really kind of don't have much impact. So it's uh, not triggering any fuel switching. We more see kind of the reverse fuel switching because of these extreme levels of, uh, of gas. So people are burning more coal rather than, than gas. This seems quite a sort of perverse thing, really, because this is, goes against the, the grain of what the ETS was, was there to, to stimulate, really, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's um, at the moment, it's really not too much carbon, a high carbon price could do. Because, I mean, it could go up and up and up, but then it would only kind of chase uh, gas even higher um, because there is not sufficient gas supply to cater for additional demand in the power sector. So in that sense, it's kind of so much carbon can do at the moment when we have this extreme situation in the fuels market. I mean, gas prices are extremely high, but also uh, for coal prices. But we have to also remember that this is more kind of a short term extreme situation. And it's most likely not kind of the more normal situation. Last year, we had kind of the complete opposite when we kind of were flooded with gas in Europe and then with low gas prices and, and much lower coal prices. But now also kind of supported, of course, by high global demand from Asia, both for coal and gas. I think we will kind of see that you will have periods of time where carbon prices won't necessarily kind of trigger immediate emission reductions. But of course, that will change also over time. And we need a high carbon price or a carbon price to trigger abatement 
in the UTS in order to reach the overall 2030 target. Bernadette, do you agree it's all about gas? Yes, uh, to be honest, I couldn't agree uh, more with uh, uh, what Ingrid said. And um, as you know, our company is helping compliance entities uh, to purchase allowances and cover their emissions. And this is actually uh, the feedback we also receive from our clients, uh, that their main concern right now is purchasing power and gas, because both prices increased quite a lot for them. On the other hand, uh, there is also an interesting trend because we see these uh, record high carbon prices. And uh, maybe fuel switching does not take place um, at a pace we would expect from a properly working carbon market. Uh, However, an interesting experience I would like to share with you is that more and more industrials are looking already into ways, into new technologies to reduce their emissions already with the current carbon prices. So maybe in the power sector, There are other concerns, gas, uh, coal, and electricity prices. However, these current uh, carbon prices start to be a motivation for many industrials already. What kind of sectors are they, Bernadette? I know about uh, cement companies uh, that already have started investing into new technologies in order to reduce their emissions on the long run. Okay, interesting. I'd just like to say, listeners, if you want to listen to a podcast about the dynamics of what's happening in the gas market, we we recorded one two weeks ago. But Ingrid, if I can turn to you, we hear from carbon traders that the price movement's all about gas. But when we speak to gas and power traders, they say it's all about carbon. I mean, is there a bit of a chicken and an egg situation going on here? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that's uh, sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint what's driving what. And we have seen previously that carbon has been a driver for gas, but I think kind of the main direction for carbon has been from gas. It's not necessarily all days. Sometimes it will be also carbon driving, driving gas prices, but especially in kind of these days where we see big correction, you have seen kind of corrections in the gas market that has been quite much larger than in, in the carbon market. So it's from time to time when you don't really kind of have kind of you can point to one specific factor of why prices were moving in one day. Of course, it could be also the opposite that carbon moves gas. My impression is that at least kind of from when you had had this uh, kind of squeezed gas market that has been more gas driving uh, carbon than than vice versa. You talked about the clients. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to talk about what's your view going forward in the coming months and into 2022. And what are you advising your clients? Are you wanting to hold off or or, or buy now? Yeah, that's the tricky question, (laughs) I think, or the one million question. (laughs) Just to come back to the the carbon market behavior in the last uh, couple of uh, weeks or even months, it might be worth highlighting also the the special movements in, in August. We all know that August is always a little bit special month. Because uh, we see uh, auction volumes being reduced by 50%. So this means that the primary market sees already less supply. And um, in the last five years, in four, we have seen prices increasing. So what we have seen this year, the price hitting new maximums, is actually not a huge surprise uh, to the market participants, uh, I, I would say. On the other hand, it was also interesting to observe especially in the last couple of weeks, that, for example, the the open interest 
in the benchmark contract did not really increase despite the price hitting new records. Or if we compare the average daily traded volumes in the benchmark contract, we can see that from the average in July, that was around 30 million. In August, we have only seen, seen 23 million, which can be an indication for the fact that many market participants were still away from the market, maybe running maintenance uh, at their plants or simply enjoying holidays. And the market was quite thin. And to be honest, in, in these market circumstances, it is very easy to move the market even by a couple of euros, like we mm-hmm. have seen it uh, this year, in one direction or the other. Maybe we could uh, we could see those new uh, records also because the market was relatively thin. And what's coming up, it's quite difficult to, to say, but what we can observe right now already is that it's very difficult to find sellers. So I think this is a quite specific uh, market situation because everybody is either waiting for the allowances because, for example, 2021 free allocation uh, in many cases has not hit the accounts of the clients yet. So they are still waiting for the free allocation. Although uh, having some chit-chat with them, we've realized that even after receiving the allowances, not many are considering selling simply because they think that the prices would increase in the future as well. And uh, many of them also expect uh, uh, an obligation to top up. So they have to purchase additional allowances because they know that their free allocation have been reduced. The numbers have been actually published already in the official journal of the EU. So they are just waiting to see the numbers and to see the EUAs on their accounts and uh, would like to start topping up uh, by the end of the year. So therefore, I would say that we might see new records. We cannot exclude the possibility. Uh, Vertis, for example, right now has a yearly maximum expectation of 65 euros. I think that we have to rework our expectations in the upcoming months. But uh, but all in all, I think that the expectation is further price increases and a new records, especially if we think about that uh, politicians will also restart negotiations about the Fit for 55 package and especially the reforms affecting the current system. So do you think we could go north of, of 70, Bernadette, by the end, end of the year? Considering that uh, many companies have this kind of policy, internal policy, that they try to cover their um, emissions, their yearly emissions in the same year, I can easily imagine a, um, a run-up, a rally uh, by the end of the year. And in this case, we cannot exclude the possibility that the price reaches 70 euros or even higher levels. What's your view here, Ingrid? You highlighted gas earlier and Gazprom's, you know, announcements here about exports to euros seem about exports to Europe, sorry, seems to be key here but in driving gas prices. Could you see a possibility that if we see Nord Stream 2 flows coming in into Germany end of November, early December, that will cause gas prices to fall and carbon could fall with it? Or do you expect to see um, you know, prices now in a new range of 60 to 70, even, even above? I think it's too early to say that we are in a new range now because it's so extreme kind of market conditions. And I would say I would be surprised if we see kind of a big correction in the gas market without a correction in, in carbon market as well. 
I think kind of the downside risk is kind of gas reverse, but also kind of looking at the macro uh, sentiment, what happens with COVID if we see kind of an increase in COVID cases. Uh, so that could be kind of an X, X factor. And then, of course, the carbon price is kind of kicking in on the electricity prices. And I think there is a worry around Europe about kind of high electricity prices. And even though kind of you can't really blame carbon at the moment, at least not the whole electricity bill can be blamed on higher carbon costs. But of course, that's part of the picture as well. So I think this high electricity price may also kind of color the policy discussions uh, that will kind of kick off on the Fit for 55 debate. I think it's, it's not necessarily kind of leading to anything on the policy side. But of course, I mean, can you do something about gas prices? No. <laughs> or can politicians do anything about coal prices? No. Can they do something about carbon prices? Right. So it's um, even though kind of uh, it will be brought up in discussions, I don't think necessarily. And of course, kind of these proposals can be of also price driving, at least intra kind of if this proposal, even though it's not a proposal that will necessarily fly, but I think kind of um, policy making is not made in a vacuum either. That could also kind of color the discussions. But EU has agreed on a fit or fit or fifty five percent target for twenty thirty, and you have climate neutrality in twenty fifty. So I mean, really depends on the horizon uh, the policymakers are looking at when kind of the discussions kicks kicks really off. So you think there could be a danger that the ambition will be lowered in the 50 for 55 package in the negotiations that are, that are coming now over, over the coming months and, and years? No, I don't think, the, I mean, you have the ambition, right? And if you lower the ambition for the UTS, that means the other sectors will have to take larger burden. But of course, there are a lot of elements and a lot of factors that don't necessarily change the overall burden for the ETS but will be important for the uh, market design. And even though kind of you will now just kind of kick off discussions, I mean, they would, these will be kind of uh, lasting for, for a very long time, but that there will be someone mentioning kind of worries about carbon, uh, carbon prices at these levels, hitting the electricity bills for households, for industry. I think that will kind of come up, even though that, that's not necessarily changing anything in the end. But these kind of um, that the market sees that there are elements in the proposal that came out from the commission that might be changed with the policy risk could also kind of um, be some input to to the carbon market. I also want to mention one thing as well that Bernadette mentioned kind of the halved auction supply now in August. So now we're starting off with full auction volumes, but the full auction volumes now is lower than the full auction volumes we had before summer. And that is because now is when you have the COVID effect in the market stability reserve. Uh, so the market stability reserve or how much they will hold back from the auctions is based now on the total number of allocation number that was published after uh, verified emission or in May when we had kind of verified emissions for 2020. So because surplus was building up uh, because of lower demand in, in 2020, you now taking more to MSR or kind of uh, so the auction volumes hitting, hitting the market is, I would say, quite, quite much lower than uh, before summer. Can I ask you the same as I asked Bernadette? What's your outlook for the coming months, Ingrid, in terms of price direction? 
we don't see necessarily kind of a large uh, downside risk. I mean, it will depend very much on the gas market, I think. So we're in the, in the process of updating uh, our price forecasts because, uh, I mean, we are obviously too low, our ex- expectations. So, uh, so I think it's fair to say that in a fundamental market that is so strong at the moment, it's uh, tricky to kind of say that the market will go substantially down at least. It's obviously very tricky being an analyst in these kind of conditions and this kind of very bullish, you know, in terms of commodity prices and, and power. It's all very, very up. Now, Bernadette, can, if I can ask you about the risk of market intervention. So Ingrid highlighted some areas which maybe could be looked at. I mean, obviously, as she said, you know, politicians can't do anything about the international gas markets or coal markets or the weather, but they can maybe tweak the carbon, carbon market. Is this something that you also expect to see more of in the coming months and years? To be honest, I, I completely agree with uh, Ingrid about uh, the risk factors uh, she has just uh, listed, also regarding regarding the gas supply and uh, and possible changes in the current proposals in the Fit for 55 package. Although she mentioned one word that I, I really like, which is the horizon, and I think this is what we we have to keep in mind. And, and before our eyes, because to be honest, uh, back in the times when the price was still around six, eight euros, most of the market participants were a little bit short-sighted and were thinking from one year to the other because there is a one's a compliance in a year. Uh, however, I think that this this will change uh, in in the future because everybody sees it very, very clearly, speaking about compliance entities or financial entities also participating actively in this market, that the European Commission considers uh, the EUETS, the Emissions Trading System, as the main tool to decarbonize the European economy. And the, the 2050 target is already low on EU level. So we have to reach that target. And I think everybody sees it very, very clearly that the sooner we act, the costs are lower. Therefore, I do not really expect significant changes to the current proposals because the European Commission drafted those proposals in order to reach, first of all, our 2030 target. But then uh, by the end of the day, the 2050 target of the European Union. And what I can see, as I also mentioned, what I can see uh, among our clients is that they also shifted their view, their approach to the carbon market and have a long-term view on it. We can see, of course, a correction in the carbon price. We can see high volatility because of gas prices, because of politicians negotiate, negotiating the reforms. However, I think that the overall trend that shows upwards is given and is a common understanding among the market participants at this moment. You know, there was a lot of talk early in the year about the role of speculators, the funds coming in. Bernadette's now mentioned that actually some compliance you know, companies are, are changing their practice, their, their decarbonization. They're really looking closely at this. Have you seen any change in the composition of, of the active participants in this market over, over the last few months? Not necessarily kind of over the last months. I think it's been relatively unchanged. But it's uh, like, for instance, investment fund, which see from the commitment of traders data that they are holding kind of a quarter of the length in the market. It's an interesting asset still, both for those with long-term view and also for those with 
short-term view for for the carbon market. But I think it's fair to say, I mean, it's, it's as, as Bernadette says, industry players are now kind of engaging more in the carbon market than they previously did. I mean, when you had very low prices and they received most of their allowances for free or maybe a surplus of their allowances for free, it didn't kind of matter that much to kind of understand the carbon market. But now that you actually see you have a carbon price at 60, you're maybe not getting kind of all the allowances that you need for to cover your emissions. And that that's kind of really changing the behavior that you now do the investment and to minimize your carbon emissions going forward. And I think that's that's one of the things when you have now a car- high carbon price. I mean, you have had a high carbon price for uh, for some years now and, and of course, extreme this year. But that's also kind of pushing the investment decision maybe earlier in, in time than you would have had otherwise. I mean, and it's an extreme year now. Yes, it's kind of a high level now. Is it kind of the level where we will see carbon prices the next year? We don't know. But that kind of this awareness that you have the goal uh, of 2030, you have the goal of 2050, you know where you're going. So if you want to kind of stick as a business in Europe, you need to plan for the future ahead. And I think a high carbon price is also helping with that. I want to just mention one point, and that is also kind of we have to remember that the EU ETS is also generating a lot of revenues that can be used now for the greening that is required in Europe. So, I mean, the the governments are getting now revenues from the daily auctions. Uh, We're filling up the modernization fund that will help, help kind of the Eastern European states to transform their or modernize their electricity sector. Uh, we're kind of piling up in the innovation fund with the prices as uh, we have now. And of course, it will be costly to take us to be fit for 55 or kind of the green deal. But this money will now be available to help out with this transition uh, that we need to do. Yeah, and I think that's important to mention that, you know, OK, we may see some switching back from, from gas to coal. There are other positives out there, you know, the companies out there looking very closely at how they can decarbonize as well as the access to these funds. So that's an important point. I'd just like to round off the discussion by asking you to sort of highlight what you think will be the key drivers in the carbon market in the coming weeks and months, you know, to, to the end from now to the end of the year. Gas is the obvious one, but what will be the others? Ingrid, if I can start with you. Yeah, I think uh, weather forecasts, uh, getting closer when you have uh, getting weather forecasts for winter. Will it be a mild winter, cold winter? Of course, uh, if you have suddenly a lot of wind, if you're filling up the hydro reserves in, uh, in, in, for instance, Norway, these are things that will be also of importance. And I think kind of uh, movements in, in the policy, policy debate, uh, I think that could be also, I mean, even though it's not necessarily focusing on, on short-term measures but or short-term effects of a carbon price, but I think... I mean, now discussions will pick up and you will see kind of which are the difficult points to agree on, which are kind of the the less contested elements. This kind of policy debate could also be input to the carbon price uh, over the autumn yeah, and also into next year. And, and Bernadette, what's your view here? What are the, the key drivers in, 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 your, in your opinion? Politicians returning from their holidays and restarting negotiations about the reforms of the system 
uh, could have a high impact, although nobody really expects uh, a decision within half a year or even one year. But we know this market very well, and we know that these kind of negotiations can already increase the volatility of the price and more or less define the overall direction of the market. This is one thing. Also, as I've mentioned, our clients are waiting for the distribution of the free allocation. And the third factor that might be worth mentioning is the COVID situation in the European member states. In some countries, we see already numbers increasing. Of course, everybody would like to avoid kind of lockdowns and restrictions we have experienced in the last two years, but it's very difficult to forecast how the virus situation develops in Europe. I'd like to thank you, Ingrid and Bernadette, very much for, for joining the Monta Weekly Podcast this week. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Monta Weekly Podcast. Please direct message, any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you, if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.